0: that those that hear what I'm about to do, they will be stunned when they hear it. And all of this week, I was—I just felt like I couldn't leave that thought. I couldn't leave that subject. And I was thinking, now, God, where do you want us to go with this? So the Lord led us today to the book of Acts. Well, we're going to start here at Acts chapter 8. We'll be jumping back into Acts chapter 7. Some, we may even go into Acts chapter 6. And... Here we go. The New Living Translation, Acts 1 or 8 1 through 3, says Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, let me remind you what the Lord said in Acts chapter 1. Verse eight, when he said this, and you shall receive power after that, the Holy ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in where Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The problem was this, the believing church in Jerusalem did not spread like they were supposed to. History says that that church in Jerusalem was between 50 and 80 thousand people. That was the size of the church. That's a lot of people. And they would meet in the synagogues and they would talk to each other and they would witness and they would go from house to house and they would do Bible studies. That's why Bible studies need to be very, very important part of this congregation and a part of what we do in this area of central Illinois is because that's how they did it in the Bible. They went from house to house. And so what is happening here is God is allowing through the death of Stephen, he is allowing persecution to come to the believers. And it says, and all the believers were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. So you see, God uses today's trouble to accomplish his purpose for tomorrow. God uses today's trouble to accomplish his purpose for tomorrow in our lives. You want to know why you're going through hell It's because God's trying to put your sails in the next direction to go into his will and into his purpose. God will bring people into our lives just for a certain time or for a season or for a reason. People come into your lives for three things. They either come for a reason for a season or for a lifetime. There are, People that you have that are friends, that you are friends with them for your whole life. You will call them, you will talk to them, and you have a long-standing relationship with them. There are also people that come into your life that are there for a season. They are just there for a certain time, a short time, maybe for a sickness or for a a family situation or something else. There are some people that just come into your life to cause problems, and the reason is is God is using them to get your stinking eyes open so you won't stay in Jerusalem the whole time and you'll get out and do what you're supposed to do. Hallelujah. Does that make sense? A reason, a season, or a lifetime. So some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now let's discuss this Saul character for a minute. Saul was born about the same time as our Lord. His circumcised and circumcision name was Saul, and probably the name Paul was given to him in infancy for use in the Gentile world. As Saul would be his Hebrew home name. He was a native of Tarsus, the capital of Sicilia, a Roman province in the southeast of Asia Minor. The city, it was a large city, stood on the banks of the river Sinus, which was navigable thus far. Hence it became a center of extensive commercial traffic and many countries along the shores of the Mediterranean, as well as with the countries of Central Asia Minor it became a city distinguished for the wealth of its inhabitants. So it was a port city. It was a wealthy city. Paul was a city slicker. Peter was a country guy. All right? Peter was probably a redneck. Hallelujah. Paul was a city slicker. Thank God for rednecks. Amen. Now, Tarsus was also the seat of a famous university, higher in reputation even than the universities of Athens and Alexandria, Egypt. Here Saul was born and here he spent his youth and doubtless enjoying the best education of his native city. His father was the straightest sect of the Jews. His father was a Pharisee. They came out of the tribe of Benjamin of pure and unmixed Jewish blood. And if you will look at the writings of Paul, he will tell you I am a Jew of the Jews and I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know, he said I, he, he said in one place I can relate to the heathen or I can relate to the educated. Paul could talk to barbarians on an island after a shipwreck or he could stand before Caesar and tell the leader of the world this is how it happened and he could hold his own with all of them. What a unique instrument God chose to bring the gospel to the known world at that time. That's found in Acts 23.6 and Philippians 3.5 about his Jewish blood. We learn nothing regarding his mother, but there is a reason to conclude that she was a pious woman and that like-minded with her husband, she exercised all um, a mother influence in molding the character of her son so that he could afterwards speak of himself as being from his youth up, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Philippians 3, 6. Now listen to this. We read of his sister and his sister's sons in Acts twenty three, sixteen, and of other relatives in Romans sixteen, seven and eleven and twelve. Though a Jew, his father was a Roman citizen. How he obtained this privilege was not uh we are not informed. It might have been bought, or it won by a distinguished service to the state, or acquired in several other ways. At all events, his son was free born. What does that have to do with me at Family Worship Center today? Well, if you look in the scriptures, Paul was whipped in Jerusalem. They beat on him, and they were going to put him in prison. And he said to them, let me tell you, boy, something. You have just, you haven't beaten a Jew. He said, I am a Roman citizen. And great fear went all through the crowd when, they, when he started. I mean, this guy knew how to do it. Paul was sharp and Paul had it together. So he had this privilege of being a Roman citizen. It was a valuable privilege and one that was to prove of great use to Paul, although not in the way in which his father might have expected him to use it. Perhaps the most natural career for the youth to follow was that of a merchant because that was a port city, and that's what the major industry and economic situation was. But it was decided that he should go to college and become a rabbi and that is a minister, a teacher, and a lawyer all in one. So Paul was a preacher, he was a teacher, and he was a lawyer. I'll let you ponder that one for a while on your own. According to Jewish custom, however, he learned a valuable trade before entering into one or more direct preparations for the profession of ministry. The trade which he acquired was that of making tents from goat's hair cloth, a trade which was one of the most common in Tarsus. His preliminary education having been completed, Saul was sent when he was about 13 years of age, probably to the great Jewish school of sacred learning at Jerusalem as a student of the law. Here he became a pupil of the celebrated rabbi Gamaliel. Now, you will see the name Gamaliel in the the book of Acts, a mentor. He was one of the most famous throughout of all of Judaism, and Paul spent many years in elaborate study of the scriptures and of many questions concerning them with rabbis and Gamaliel as they exercised these privileges. During these years of diligent study, he lived in all good conscience, unstained by the vices of that great city. After a period... Uh, the period of his student life expired, he probably left Jerusalem, went back to Tarsus, where he may have been engaged in connection with some synagogue for some years, but we find him back in Jerusalem very soon after the death of our Lord. Here he now learned the particulars regarding the crucifixion and the rise of the new sect of the Nazarenes. What we read in the book of Acts They looked at it as a cult because it was new, it was fresh, and it was totally unorthodox and untraditional to what they were used to. So for some two years after the day of Pentecost, Christianity was quietly spreading its influence in Jerusalem. At length, Stephen, one of the seven deacons, gave forth more public and aggressive testimony that Jesus was the Messiah, and this led to much excitement among the Jews and much disputation in their synagogues. Persecution arose against Stephen and the followers of Christ generally, in which Saul of Tarsus took a prominent part. He was at this time probably a member of the great Sanhedrin. Remember Joseph of Arimathea. And Nicodemus were both members of the Sanhedrin, which was that religious organization. They were open-minded in their minds, and they just wanted to talk to the Lord about what the Lord wanted to do and what he was teaching and how his disciples could pick corn and heal on the Sabbath day. So Paul, later on, becomes a member of the same council and became the active leader in the furious persecution by which the rulers then sought to exterminate Christianity. What you and I are in today, the devil has always wanted to exterminate. Listen, Jesus came to set a fire on the earth, he said. John the Baptist prepared the way, and then Jesus came. And from Jesus, it went to 12 men. And from these 12 men, it went throughout the world. 80,000 people strong in one church. Ephesus. The town of Ephesus was also a town and a city of trade. History says, now Ephesus, it was a crossroads to the world. It would be comparable to the Amsterdam of today. Anybody ever been in Amsterdam? Amsterdam is one of the most wicked cities on the face of the earth. Anything you want to see, do, hear, taste, or touch, you can do it in Amsterdam. If Ephesus was just like Amsterdam. But in that wicked town... In that wicked city where anything went, God set up a church of over 55,000 strong in Ephesus. So every time the devil tries to destroy, God always expands. And every time the devil tries to destroy stuff in your life and God's kingdom in your life, get ready because when the devil fights you, God will expand you. Amen. So if you're in an under attack, good. That's good, because carbon never becomes a diamond unless it's under pressure. Amen. Let's look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Now about this time when the number of the disciples was greatly increasing, complaint was made by the Hellenists, the greek speaking Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked amen and underpaid no we're being overlooked and neglected in the daily ministration the distribution of relief so the early church had some problems with prejudice wow sounds like today so the 12 apostles convened the multitude of the disciples and said it is not seemly or desirable or right that we should have to give up or neglect preaching the word of god in order to attend to serving at tables and superintending the distribution of food they said we got to preach That's what they were called to do, and they said, we've got to preach. Therefore, verse 3, select out from among you, brethren, seven men of good and attested character and repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may assign to look after the business and duty. But we will continue to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the suggestion pleased the whole assembly. And they selected Stephen, a man full of faith, a strong and welcome belief that Jesus is the Messiah, and full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Thank God he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's where we need to be all the time is full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. These were presented to the apostles who after prayer laid their hands on them. So you see me going through touching people and praying with them. The apostles did it. Jesus did it. So we got to do it. And the message of God kept spreading. The number of disciples, look at this word that they use here. What word did they use? Multiplied. God was not adding. He was multiplying. This church was expanding so fast that he was, God was multiplying. God God, just like we're kind of experiencing here, God was multiplying the disciples. And this church was growing, and so they had a little problem in daily church business. The apostles said, let's get men full of faith in the Holy Ghost and let them handle it. We're going to give ourselves to prayer and the word God, just like we're kind of experiencing here, God was multiplying the disciples. And this church was growing, and so they had a little problem in daily church business. The apostles said, let's get men full of faith in the Holy Ghost and let them handle it. We're going to give ourselves to prayer and the word. And besides, a large number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, this is really tearing up the synagogues because the priests are now getting the Holy Ghost, you know? It's like, whoa, there is something going on around here. They had the faith in Jesus as the Messiah through whom to obtain eternal, life, eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Now Stephen, full of grace, divine blessing and favor, and power, strength and ability, worked great wonders and signs and miracles among the people. However, now here we go. Some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, free Jews slaves, Jewish slaves, as it was called, and of the synagogues of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Sicilia and the Providence of Asia, where was Paul from right there, So Paul was in that mix, arose, and undertook to debate and dispute with Stephen, but they were not able to resist the intelligence and the wisdom and the inspiration of the spirit with which by whom he spoke. Let me tell you something. A man with an argument is no match for a man with an experience. Because you can argue and argue and argue, but when you have a man that has an experience, you cannot pierce through that experience that man has encountered. It is God's will that all of us experience his power, his spirit, his infilling in our lives. Amen? Verse 11, so they secretly instigated and instructed men to say, we have heard this man speak using slanderous and abusive and blasphemous language against Moses and God. Thus they incited the people as well as the elders and the scribes, and they came upon Stephen and arrested him and took him before the council, the good old Sanhedrin. Aren't they something? All right, verse 13, and they brought forward false witnesses who asserted this man never stops making statements against the sacred place and the law of Moses. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of, of the Nazarene will tear down and destroy this place and will alter the institutions and usages which Moses transmitted to us. Then all who said in the council, the Sanhedrin as they gazed intently at Stephen saw his face had the appearance of the face of an angel god was standing right behind stephen it didn't matter what that religious group did god was right there with him it didn't matter how they tried to argue with him God was right there with him, and God will be right there with you. When the devil comes against you and attacks you, God will be right there with you. God will stand strong. It may seem like God's a million miles away, but you know, you do not know what your enemy is seeing. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet, and the prophet was staying in this little cottage, and he had his servant with him. And his servant went out one day and the army of the Syrians hated this prophet because this prophet prophesied evil against the Assyrians and prophesied destruction against them. And so they decided they were going to destroy the prophet. So the servant goes out of the college that morning and he steps outside and he looks and surrounding the house where they're at, there is nothing but chariots and soldiers and the whole army of Syria. And he walks back into the house and he says to the prophet, We have a problem here. I went out to get the morning paper, and it wasn't the dog that ate the morning paper. We have an army surrounding the house. Now, you've got to be pretty important for an army to surround you. And then he says, I don't know what we're going to do. And the prophet said, Lord, would you just open his eyes? Don't you hate people? Don't you have a problem with people who in the midst of a storm are as cool as a cucumber? Everything can be coming down around them, and they're just there. They're not phased. They're not touched. They're not moved. They're just, everything's all right. You know why? There's a confidence in their heart. They have a faith that says, it's all going to be all right. We may have an army surrounding us, but everything's going to be all right. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. And he says to the servant, would you go back and look again? And so the servant goes back to look again. And this time there are two armies out there. The army of the Syrians, which have surrounded them, that want to kill the prophet. Behind them is the armies of the Lord, flaming horses and chariots of fire surrounding the enemy. And the servant felt a lot better after that. You see, we cannot see because we live in this tangible, touchable, feely realm but we are really eternal creatures inside of a carnal body. We are eternal creatures that one day will shed this body in death or in translation, and we will be forever in eternity with God. How do you know that? Because I am created in the image of God. God breathed into man the breath of life, and man did what? Became a living soul. So I'm going to shed this body. Thank God. It may take longer for some of us to molt than others. You know? We're going to shed these bodies and we're going to be eternal creatures in God. So even though you cannot see all the players in the game, just have a faith in your heart that God will never leave you, he will never forsake you. It doesn't matter what temptation comes your way. First Corinthians says there is not a temptation that is common to man that has come upon you that you will not be able to bear. And he says if it gets too heavy for you to bear, he will make a way of escape for you. Don't throw in the towel. I don't know why I'm preaching about this. Don't ever plan on throwing in the towel and saying, I'm not walking with God anymore. You keep walking with God. Everything's crumbling around you, keep on walking. When everything's happy, keep on walking. When everything is sad, keep on walking. That's what you've got to do. You've got to just keep doing what you're doing in God. That's what Stephen did. And You know what? What makes me really angry is the only way they could get anything on Stephen was just like they did Jesus. The only way they could do anything was find somebody to lie. Now, if you have trouble lying, you need to stop lying. Because we already know all liars already have their reservations. You've called ahead. You have your confirmation number. Your confirmation number is revelation. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and with brimstone. All the people that say, I'm not going to that church because all there are is hypocrites in the church, they don't even realize that Revelation is right there, ready for them. We'll leave the light on for you. Hallelujah. Don't let circumstances, no matter what comes against you, don't even stoop to that level. You just keep walking with God. Now, let's go. So Stephen is there in front of the council, the great Sanhedrin. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Verse 53, and what's going to happen here? Stephen begins to tell the Sanhedrin how the cat ate the cabbage. You ever seen a cat eat cabbage? I haven't either, but it sounds good. He's going to tell them exactly where they're at, what they're doing, and what is wrong in their life. Listen, you want to go to a church where the preacher will say, you know what, um, you're not doing right here. Do you just want to go somewhere and get mamby-pamby and on the honey, saying, we're glad you came today. I want to change. You know what I was looking for in my life? When I was 15 years old, I wanted a change. I was sick of living in the sin I was in. I was sick of living in the junk I was in. I was sick of lying to God. I was sick of lying with me, to me. I was fed up with everything. I wanted a change. And I wanted somebody that would say, here's the line. You're either going to cross it and change or stay there and be destroyed just like you are now. That's what I want in God. That's what I want in the church. That's what I want in a pastor. I want somebody to deliver the word of God and say here's the standard by which we live i cannot make it any plainer i cannot make it any sweeter i'm just going to have to give it to you just like the lord gave it to us yes amen good job pastor okay here we go 753 he said you have you who received the law as it was ordained and set in order and delivered by angels and yet you did not obey it the trouble with those rotten apostles is they tell it just like it is Because there was a transformation from the time Simon Peter had had denied the Lord and cut off the high priest, servant, seer. There was a transformation because when he stood up on the day of Pentecost, he whips out another sword. But this time he wasn't aiming at their ears, he was aiming at their hearts. And he said, you men of Jerusalem and all Judea, this same Jesus that you have crucified, God hath made him both Lord and Christ. And Stephen has the same anointing on him. Now, Stephen is going to be the first martyr in the early church. Now, upon hearing these things, they, the Jews, were cut to the heart and in, well, I wonder why, infuriated and they ground their teeth against Stephen. Have you ever seen somebody so mad they, that's how mad they were. They were fired up, needless to say. But he, full of the Holy Spirit and controlled by him, gazed into heaven and saw the glory, the splendor and majesty of God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. And he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at God's right hand. But they raised a great shout and put their hands over their ears and rushed together upon him because they were holy. They were open-minded and holy. All right. They Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him and the witnesses. Now watch this. Place their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Talking about a new church order. Now hang on, we're getting there. That's in Acts 22, 20. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive and accept and welcome my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out loudly, Lord, fix not this sin upon them lay it not to their charge, and when he had said this, he fell asleep in death. So that's where we find the great Saul of Tarsus, a young man, a Pharisee, in the midst of the Sanhedrin. Now he sees and he witnesses the first blood of the martyr of Stephen that will propel the church not from just being added now, But being multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. This thing, look, this thing hasn't stopped in two thousand years. All day today, in every time zone around this globe, there have been people that have come into the house of God. And all through the week, they go into houses and do Bible studies. And this thing just continues to grow and grow and grow. In the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, one of the most ruthless and, and most, um, uh, horrible dictators in the country of Romania when it was a Soviet bloc nation. Remember what his name was? Was it Ceausescu? I believe it was. He was so ruthless and so mean and so angry in himself. He was communist. There was no churches. There was nothing. But in the, in the middle of all of that oppression, God raised up a church. There were underground churches that we discovered in the late 80s, early 90s after this revolution in Romania that had five to ten thousand people in them underground. You know how they would have church? Church was outlawed. They couldn't come and do what we're doing today. But they would go to a house and they would have prayer and a church service in the house. And because they were afraid that the secret police had infiltrated the crowd, they would simply say this, we will see you all the next time the Holy Spirit tells us to meet. We Americans would die. There's no bulletin. There's no organization. There's no computer. There's no projector. There's no, how are we going to do this? And you know what? The Holy Ghost, I, I think God is sovereign enough that he could do this. What God would do was he would tell each member in that congregation, John Hippert's house, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. And he would go over here. You think God can do this? John Hippert's house, Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Because if the secret police were in the crowd and they announced where they were going to meet next, the pastor would be arrested and beaten. All the Bibles would be taken. You see what I'm saying? Bishop Alinkoff has been arrested. You know how many times the old boy has been arrested? You think you've served time. He's been arrested about 300 times. 300! He's had a gun held to his head and said... Either recant this Christ thing, or I'm going to shoot you right here. And he said, you will just have to shoot me. I'm not going to recant. And then while while his commander in the army is holding the gun there, his hand starts shaking, he drops the gun and goes back and gets in the car. And Brother Linkoff gets back in the car and drives the commander back to the base. And the next day, Brother Linkoff says, I thought you were going to kill me yesterday. Why didn't you shoot me? He said, when I got ready to pull the trigger, I looked behind you, and there was a man that was eight feet tall. If you're a child of God, God's got his hand on you. Everything's going to be all right. Bishop Polinkoff has been arrested. You know how many times the old boy's been arrested? You think you've served time. He's been arrested about 300 times. 300! He's had a gun held to his head and said, either recant this Christ thing, or I'm going to shoot you right here. And he said... You will just have to shoot me. I'm not going to recant. And then while while his commander in the army is holding the gun there, his hand starts shaking. He drops a gun and goes back and gets in the car. And Brother Linkoff gets back in the car and drives the commander back to the base. And the next day, Brother Linkoff says, I thought you were going to kill me yesterday. Why didn't you shoot me? He said, When I got ready to pull the trigger, I looked behind you, and there was a man that was eight feet tall. If you're a child of God, God's got his hand on you. Everything's going to be all right. And you know what all those Romanians would do? They would all show up at John's house at 7 o'clock on Thursday night because God told them all when and where and what time. Wow. I sometimes wish that we could live in a realm like that, but we would have to suffer some tremendous persecution and tribulation in order to get dependent on God like that. Let's go to Acts chapter number 9. I put all the pieces together. This is the conclusion. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. Now watch what he does. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there that's what they call this new movement the way oh they're in the way well they were in the way more than one way because they were growing he wanted to bring them both men and women back to jerusalem in chains as he was approaching damascus on the midst of this mission a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him listen you cannot touch the work of god when god's ready to do something you can't shut it down you can't lock the door and keep him out when god is ready god is going to put it all in action we decided to start this church. We didn't have a building. We didn't have a chair. We had a nice sound system set in the garage that every now and then we would serenade the neighbors down there. But when we just thought we didn't have nothing like that. No people, no nothing. But you know what? When we decided we we're going to do it, then here comes a building, then here comes chairs, then here comes people, and it just keeps going on and on and on and on. I had a preacher say back in February, oh, well, you need to get a projector and you need to put it all on the screen. And I'm thinking, yeah, we got 100 bucks in the offering last week. Yeah, we're going to get a projector. Now, look where we're at today. We got a projector. It's shooting on the screen. We got the words up there. We got the scriptures up there. Why? Because when God puts something in action, there's not a devil in hell that can stop what God is trying to do. Amen? It is all all about timing. Now, I said that corporately as a church, but I'm going to tell you when God gets ready to do something in your life, hell and high water cannot stop it. That's why the devil doesn't want you to come to church. That's why the devil wants you to sleep in. That's why the devil says wants to make you feel that sharp hunger pain right now because you want to go grazing at Ponderosa because he didn't want you to hear what I'm trying to say. The devil cannot stop what God is trying to do. When God gets ready to do something, he just flicks the devil out of the way and says, move on over, I'm coming through. And I don't want to hear any talk back talk from you. Shut up. I've heard enough. So Paul was on his mission, but suddenly a light shone round about him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Now here's the old boy that has papers that he's going to destroy the people that are in the way. He is going to throw men into prison. He is going to throw women into prison. He is going to break up homes. He is going to break up families. He is going to do all of this because he has seen the blood spilled and shed by that martyr Stephen. And Saul is on a witch hunt. And Saul is hungry. Listen, the devil is hungry. The devil is on a witch hunt for you. But God always has a plan. God is never left without a plan. Look at your neighbor and say, God is never without a plan. God always has a plan. God always has a... It doesn't matter what the devil wants to do. Listen, if if God wanted to and he wanted to take the sovereign choice out of our lives, out of humanity, there would be 30,000 people in, around this block right now because they wouldn't have a choice. All God would say is, you need to get to that church right now. And you know what? Men may want to try to stop what God is doing in this area, but God is in control. And just like when God opened up this building, I don't know the next building that's coming, but I know it's there somewhere. Get up, get in the city, and I, and you will be told what you must do. Saul was speechless. Look at verse 9. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now remember, God says, I'm going to put you in the city and I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. Now you are going to be amazed at what God told him to do. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Notice it didn't say he was a preacher. Believers can do stuff too. Amen. Preacher did not have to do it all. So the Lord spoke to him in a vision saying, Ananias. And he said, Yes, Lord. Ananias is hearing from the Lord and he's excited. He thinks he's going to get a good job. He is real excited, but you watch what happens because his countenance will change. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street. Now, if you're going to live, you need to live on Straight Street, right? Some of you need to change your address. To the house of Judas, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, here we go. Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. Just use me, Jesus. And then we get the assignment. And there's two words, but Lord. When you say but, you have just canceled out everything you heard previously. Except, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But, now, Lord just canceled out Ananias. But the Lord God, the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. I'm talking about a new church order. I'm on a personal level today. He laid his hands. Now, remember what the Lord said to Saul? He said, you go in to a street called Straight. There's going to be a guy named Ananias that's going to come. He is going to tell you what you have to do. Now, watch what Ananias tells him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was, are you telling me that the guy that wrote half the New Testament was full of the Holy Ghost? Uh huh. And was baptized? Uh huh. And then when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I am so glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'm so glad. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. A new church order is in not only the corporate body when God said, I will show you things, Samuel, that will stun everyone that hears them but he said, I am going to do something in Saul's life that's going to come down to a personal level. Listen, you cannot be any more uh, wretched. You cannot be any more disgusting to God. You cannot be any more low life than Saul was. Saul was throwing men and women in prison. He was leaving kids as orphans on the streets because he was arresting their moms and dads. They weren't criminals. They weren't thieves. They weren't murderers. They weren't robbers. They were simply obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Saul, in his infinite Sanhedrin wisdom, was thinking he was doing God a favor. And finally, when God said, I have had enough, it's time for you, Saul, and I to have a little conference. Conferences with the Lord are very, very difficult at times. Not really for the Lord, but for us. God's having a conference with somebody in here today. God wants to set up a new church order in your life and in your heart. Saul, I want you to go to Straight Street and there's going to be somebody. Let's all stand. There's going to be somebody there that's going to tell you what you need to do. And when he got there, oh, Ananias walked in. He said, oh, I am going to tell you something. The Lord that you saw in the vision told me to tell you, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. He prayed for him. Obviously, he received his sight. Obviously, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he said, then he got up and he said, you know what? Let's get baptized. It's time to get the water running. It's time to put the robe on. It's time to submit the heart and say a new church order, God. I want it in my life. New church order. A new church order will turn your house upside down, inside out. It'll make you mow your grass. It'll make you paint the house. It'll make you love your wife. It'll make you love your mother-in-law. It will turn you inside out, upside down. A new church order, not in Israel, not at Family Worship Center, but in your heart. I can go back to the spot. June 16th, 1981, Columbia, Maryland, 15 minutes out of Baltimore. I can show you the spot where the Lord and I had our conference. And that Tuesday night, I'll never forget, the preacher preached on this subject, ain't no rock like our rock. And he was very, very plain in how he gave an altar call. He named five things. And after each thing that he named, he said, if you're doing this, he would name it, and then he'd say, you're going to die and go to hell. And he'd name another thing, and he'd say, if you're doing this, you're going to die and go to hell. I was doing three out of five, you know. I've been a fairly bright student in class. I figured that at 60%, I had a real good chance of dying and going to hell. And I will never forget, after he after he had already convicted me 60% of the way, then he says, I'm leaving this altar open for 30 seconds, and I'm shutting it down. 29, 28, at 27, I was throwing a chair. I was out of there. I was headed the front. What do you want from me, Lord? What do you need from me, Jesus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you? I'm Jesus. You've been persecuting me. You've thought you've been doing me a favor. And you've been hammering me. You have thought you have been putting me under. But you've just been trying to hurt me. But now you know what, Saul? You and I are going to have a little talk. You're going to be blind. You go to this house at this address. The man's name is Judas. I'm going to send a man named Ananias. He's going to tell you what you need to do. And it's, we're going to get this thing started. It's going to be on. Amen. Amen. So I want to ask you today the name of this song is Turn It Around. You ready to turn it around in your life? You sick of the way you're living? You sick of hanging on to that last thing? You sick of fighting it? Stop fighting it. It ain't even worth it. It is not even worth it. Okay, we ready to sing? We're going to sing. You want to come up to the front and turn it around? Get on up here and turn it around. We'll pray with you. Maybe you got something you need to let go of. Bring it up here today and let go of it. Amen. Possible for you. All things are possible. Nothing's too difficult for you. Nothing's too difficult. All things yes, are Lord. possible. All things are possible you. for All you. Things Lord. Possible. All things are possible. Nothing's too difficult. Hallelujah. For Nothing's too difficult. I'm ready for change, ready for rain, ready for favor. I know you're able to turn it around. Open the windows turn of it heaven. Turn it around. Open the windows of heaven and pour Overflow. out a blessing. Turn it around. Open the windows of heaven. Pour out a blessing that we cannot Okay, anybody to want to pray? Anybody got something to drop off here? Let Come it on. Rain. Where you at? You got it? Let it rain, Lord. Let it rain in my life. Cleanse me. Purify me. Make me what you need me to be. Do it in my life. Change my life. Change my situation. Change it, Lord.